going to go to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20 uh, today. This is going to be our, uh, our scripture that we're going to anchor in. And uh, this is probably, I mean, I say this about every scripture, but this is one of my most favorite moments between Peter and Jesus. We're going we're gonna to see why in just a moment. But check this out. Matthew chapter 16, 13 through to 20 says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, that's, that's our location today. That's what we are uh, looking at in this new moment in Sacred Eight. He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. I think that's an interesting question. Like, think about this for a moment. I think a lot of us are doing this right now as well. Who do people say that I am? That's the question Jesus is asking. And I think a lot of us are asking that question right now as well. That's why I think in this moment, this is actually a very applicable series and an applicable scripture that we're reading. Because Jesus is saying, who do you say that I am? Who do others say that I am? And maybe you're wondering, if you're online with us today, maybe you're wondering, who is Jesus in all of this stuff? Well, we're going to answer that question today. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? So Jesus asked two questions. Who do others say that I am? And then who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower. Come on, somebody, that's such good news right now. And I'll give you the kingdom, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. Man, what a powerful moment. So today, as we continue on in our series, Sacred Eight, I want to speak to you from the subject, guess who? Guess who? As we look at the power of understanding who Jesus is in our lives and in this moment. We pray with me just one more time as we get started. Jesus, we love you. We worship you, we thank you for this moment that we have to, to gather in a new way, not in the four walls of a building, but via screen in our living rooms and in our kitchens and in our bedrooms and in our cubicles or wherever we're watching across the world today. And I pray right now that you would speak to us, that you would teach us, that you would expand us, that you would sharpen us. God, that you would bring hope where it's needed, that you would bring joy where it's needed, you bring wholeness where it's needed. We pray for healing right now, God, healing across our nation, healing across this world right now. We lift up those who are on the, on the front lines battling things. God, we lift up those who are scared right now. We lift up those who are fearful right now. We just lift them up to you and we say, have your way in their lives that they would know your peace that surpasses all understanding. And so we worship you, we honor you, we love you. In Jesus' mighty name, come on and everybody online, shout it. Amen. Amen. Um, I think more than ever, uh, board games have gotten really popular, um, especially right now. Uh, during this season of life, I know a lot of people are playing board games. I texted out uh, to our team yesterday, does anybody have this game called Guess Who? And uh, I'll talk about the game in a minute, but somebody texted yesterday and they're like, we don't have Guess Who and I don't think you're going to be able to find it on the shelves at Target or any stores because everything has been like pillaged. And that's because everyone's playing board games right now. And uh, if you remember, I'm going to date myself a little bit, I used to play this, ca this game called Guess Who? And uh, there were two players in the game. There was a red player and a blue player, and they had these, uh, these plastic sheets, and they had these little cards that would flip up. And you would flip them all up, and you'd get the person that you are, and then you would spend the rest of your time together trying to guess who the other person was 
by naming out characteristics of the person. Is this person bald? Is this person wearing glasses? Is this person this? Does this person have curly hair? Like hours and hours of fun playing guess who? The truth is, is Pastor Andrew apparently didn't know what this game was, so I judged him harshly. Um, but that's, that's another, another message. But I loved this game. I loved playing this game. Figuring out who the other person was, hours and hours and hours. And many times finding myself wrong and a few times finding myself right. And here's the thing. This interaction between Peter and Jesus was a guess who moment. Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And so many people were guessing a lot of different things. And I think that's happening right now in our generation and in our culture and in our society right now, maybe all across the world, is that people are saying, who is Jesus right now? Who is this one who's supposed to be faithful? Who is this one who's supposed to be engaged with us? Who is this one who's supposed to be good? Who is this one that's supposed to heal? Like, who is, is Jesus? And people are coming up with all kinds of ideas about who Jesus is. So Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Lots of opinions, lots of thoughts. And then Jesus turns to the disciples, and then, he, and then he asks this question. Think about this. His disciples who have been walking with him, he says, who do you say that I am? And I think it's a really interesting moment because Jesus was trying to dial into whether his disciples saw him as everyone else or if his disciples saw him as who he was. That's the question I want to ask us right now. Who do we say that Jesus is? Who do we see Jesus to be? Do we see Jesus as people of faith? Do we see Jesus the way the world sees him? Or do we see Jesus as who he is? And I think we have a moment right now in our, in our own personal lives and, and as a culture and as a society, we have a, right, we, have, we have a moment right now to be able to assess who Jesus is. And they're valid questions. That's the thing, they're, they're valid questions, aren't they? Like if you're watching online today with us and you're hanging out with us right now and you're saying, man, who is Jesus? I, I don't know. I want you to know that you have all the space and place to kick the tires of faith right now with us at the well online. We say this a lot around here. You can belong before you believe. You can, you can belong virtually before you believe, right? Like you can hang with us and you can ask these questions. These questions do not frighten Jesus. But then what happens? Peter now, if you don't know anything about Peter, Peter was the guy who had a tendency to jump in all the time, right? Peter was the guy who would constantly, do you have that friend who constantly wants to talk first? The guy who wants to jump in with his opinion first. And so Jesus asked this question. He says, who do you say that I am? And Peter's like, yo! Ah! And then he makes this statement. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. And it was right here in Caesarea Philippi that Peter would profess Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, his God. Now, a little bit about Caesarea Philippi. It lay at the foot of Mount Lebanon, near the source of the Jordan, in the territory of Dan, at the northeast extremity of Palestine. These are very real places. This particular region was strongly identified as a Gentile area, as well as a Mecca for idol worship. And it's really important that we understand because Peter's profession is going to be a profession that's in the midst of doubt. It's going to be a profession that was in the midst of idol worship. So he's going to profess something that was very important because of where they were at. Baal was the deity worship there in those times. The Greeks later substituted their god Pan 
and not Peter Pan, just Pan, all right? And the town took the name Panaeus, the shrine itself being called Panion, all right? And this would be the source of people's worship during that time. Herod the Great would build a marble temple to Augustus Caesar later on, who had given him the town, and, and Philip later in the same emperor's reign further adorned the town, renaming it Caesarea in the emperor's honor. And this is really important for us to know because you would see this juxtaposition take place. You would see Peter confess Jesus as the Christ and then you would see a city rename the city in order to bring worship to their idols, worship to people. And there's this, this moment, and I think that we're in right now, this tug of war going on between what does the world say about Jesus and what do I say about Jesus? Who does the world see Jesus as and who do I see Jesus as? And it's right here in my confession of faith that everything changes. Who do you say that I am? And ultimately what this brings us to and what Peter's confession was is that Peter's confession was not a statement of theological persuasion. Peter's statement was a statement of worship and adoration. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's what I want to focus the remainder of our time on today is, is this confession. It's in Peter's answer that we get this amazing picture of what it means to place Jesus at the center of our lives. And by doing this, what we are really saying is that Jesus is the focus, Jesus is the direction, Jesus is the focal point, he's the hub, he's the core of our worship and adoration. It was right here in Caesarea Philippi where there was either idol worship or Jesus worship. Come on, somebody. It was right here in Caesarea Philippi where you would see two different professions of faith. And I just want to encourage us today as we are in the midst of all the things that we are in the midst of, as we are in the midst of sickness and fear and disease and all the things that we're looking at in the world right now, I just want to ask us the question, who do we say that Jesus is? Are we worshiping Jesus as our king or are we just looking at the things of the world? Are we looking at our bank accounts? Are we focusing on the market? Where is our worship? Where's our worship? Worship in this moment, I think and I believe, is the catalyst for the greatest amount of change we will ever experience in our lives. Worship is the catalyst for a greater depth of relationship with Jesus. And many of us right now, we may be feeling dry. We may feel like God is the furthest thing from us. Everything feels like it's caving in on us. And as we fear and as we worry and as the anxiety rises and continues to push its way upon us, I just want to ask the question, like Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? Right now, more than ever, Jesus is either going to be the object of our worship or everything else is going to be the object of our worship. And here's the truth. One will sustain you and one will let you down. Who do you say that I am? Now this is really interesting because there's more going on in this, in this piece of, of scripture as Jesus would ask this question to Peter and Peter would respond with his, with his, his statement. See, in the Old Testament, worship happened at a place. It was a ritual. There was a sacrifice involved. 
Man, I think that's really interesting right now that we are not worshiping in a place. We're not worshiping in the four walls of a church right now. We are worshiping online in, in one of the most different ways that, that we can. And, and just kind of like, can I just be a pastor for a second in this moment? Not that I've stopped being a pastor, but can I just be a pastor in this moment that uh, this, we will never give up the gathering of people to worship and, and listen to work. When this is all said and done, the church still moves on, right? But in the Old Testament, you see that worship was in a place, it was a ritual, it was sacrificial in nature. But in the New Testament, it was Jesus who was worshiped. It was no longer a place, it was a person. It was a person. And that's what this whole thing is about. Who, what are we worshiping? Who do you say that I, that I am? That's why we can worship in living rooms and in kitchens, through TV screens and, and phones. That's why when our team asks you to stand, stand up in front of your TV. Shout your TV down. Come on, haul at your boy through the screen. We can do that. Right? And let us know you're saying amen. <laughs> right? We worship a person, and that person is Jesus. W.A. Elwell, co-writer of the Tyndale Bible Dictionary, writes this. True worship required a people to connect to God, the Spirit, in their spirit, as well as a people who knew the truth. New Testament worship must be in spirit and in truth. Human being, I'm going to stop there for a second. Spirit and in truth. Worship must be in spirit and in truth. That means that there's something guttural happening in our spirit. Just so you know, this is like how I classify my spirit. <laughs> it's right here. Right, so worship must happen in spirit but and in truth. And the truth of the matter is, is that we are in a situation that sucks right now. I said that. Online, on TV, plug your kids' ears, okay? It's not the best of situations. I am not a bury my head in the sand, look away, la, 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 nothing's happening. That's not, my, that's not my disposition, but here's what I do know, is that my worship can be in spirit and in truth. My situation may not dictate my worship, but my God dictates my worship. Who do I say that he is? That's what this is about. So human beings possess, he would go on to say, W-A-L, well, human beings possess a human spirit, the nature of which corresponds to God's nature, which is spirit. Therefore, people can have fellowship with God and worship God in the same sphere that God exists in. That means our worship is not based upon our temporal moment, but rather our connection with who God is. Man, we can worship in the hardest of times. We can worship in the best of times like we sang earlier. He is the God of the mountaintop. He is the God of the valley. He is God when I am dry. He is God when everything is going awesome. At the end of the day, he's God and I worship him by a spirit. C.S. Lewis writes this. Come on, somebody, C.S. Lewis. It is in the process of being worshipped that God communicates his presence to men. I love that. So today, whether you are a Christian or you never stepped foot into the church before, we must all be reminded that there is a God in heaven that desires us, longs for us to communicate our adoration, our honor, and our love to him, not because we must, but because we do so understanding what he has done for every single one of us, spirit and in, in truth. So before we close today, this is what I want to do. I want to look at this worship issue, because I think right here, as we look at Peter's moment at Caesarea Philippi, he, he proclaims Jesus to be the Messiah. 
in this awesome moment of adoration, without drums, without music, without people jumping around, it was worship. I want to help us understand the importance of worship and what it does. Because I think right now, more than ever, if I'm honest with you, this is such a vital part of my faith journey in these days that we're living in right now. I would be lying to you if I said that I wasn't scared. I, I'd be lying to you if I said that I wasn't fearful of things that are in front of us. I'd be lying to you if I, if I said that there wasn't things that I was, I was concerned about in a way that brings anxiety into my life. But I've also decided more than ever, like Peter, I'm going to confess Jesus as who Jesus is. And every single moment that I find myself in, I'm going to worship him. Because even when I don't see it, he's working. And even when I don't feel it, he's working. He's working. So here's the first thing that I, uh, that I want us to understand about worship. Number one, first thing is this, is that worship draws us closer to Jesus. Simple, like simple as that. Worship draws us closer to Jesus. I love this. Second Chronicles, let's go old school. OT, Old Testament. Second Chronicles 5, 13 through 14. And all the Levitical, Levitical singers, Sfa, Haman, and Jedatham, their sons and kinsmen arrayed in fine linen with symbols. Just so you guys know, when we come back to live church, this is biblical proof that drums are necessary. Just putting that out there, all right? With cymbals, harps, that was a guitar that was just stood up, okay? So you know, we added a little distortion, it's all good, all right? And leers, they stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters. That is some noise right there. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard. <laughs> Think about that. It was their job to be loud. Come on, somebody. I love that. Heard in unison, in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise the Lord, this is what they sing. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Watch this. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. In other words, we, when we worship, we are engaging in a drawing closer to God. Our worship is what draws us close to him. It's in his presence that we find healing. It's in his presence that we find joy. That's what I love. They worshiped so that they could be drawn close. See, we can't expect closeness with God when there is no time spent with him. See, I want you to hear this quote. This shook me the other day. Worship is first and foremost for his benefit. <laughs> Think about that. Because for many of us, we see worship as our benefit. We need the right song to give me all the feels. We need the right tune. We need the right part. We need the right thing. Worship is not about you and I, first and foremost. Worship First and foremost is for his benefit, not ours. Through it, through it is marvelous to discover that in giving him honor, we ourselves enter into what can become our richest and most wholesome experience in life. So when we worship, 
especially right now. You will experience the presence of God. You will experience closeness with God. But not because you are trying to receive something, but rather because you are trying to give something. It's worship. More so than ever, couples' relationships are being tested right now through COVID-19 because we are cooped up with each other all the time. Right? Kids are in the house. Everything's there. Everything, there's, there's clutter in different places. But here's what I've come to discover. It's actually really cool because there's a closeness that can happen. Why? Because we are in proximity. There's a closeness that takes place because Erica and I are now forced to, to, to communicate with one another. And the truth is this, is that worship is communication. Worship is hanging out. Worship is playing uno with God. We are spending time with each other and we're saying, draw close, all right? Draw close. These people set time aside to praise and worship God. I think one of the greatest revival moments that we can have is when the church really sets itself to worship God. That is revival at the end of the day. Here's the second thing we need to understand is that worship enables you and I to overcome. So it draws us close to Jesus, but it also enables us to overcome. Watch 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 18 to 21. This is such an awesome piece of scripture. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, <clears throat> and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he had appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him with holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord. Here it again, for his steadfast love endures forever. I want you to notice that. He sent the praise and the worshipers out before the army. Watch what happens. And when they began to sing and praise the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. Think about that scene right there. It wasn't by might. It wasn't by power. It was by worship. And all of a sudden, the army that was against them killed each other. What? It's insanity. But here's what we need to realize. It is through our worship that we engage in battle. It is not with our hands. It's not with our work. It's not with our force. It's not with our might. It's not with our intellect. It's not with any one of those things that we battle. It is in and through worship. I just want to encourage us right now. To worship your way through this moment. To worship your way through what it is that we are facing. Worship your way through the marriage issues. Worship your way through the addiction. Worship your way through, through, through. When we worship, 
We are establishing God as our protector and our provider and our defender and our vindicator. A.W. Tozer wrote this, without worship, we go about miserable. But it's in my worship, it is in my praise, it's when I set that thing up in my life first and foremost that I'm able to stand in the midst of my battle and I'm able to worship him. I am able to praise him. I'm able to engage in a way that I've never engaged before because it's not by my might. I'm saying, God, it's by your authority. God, it's by your might. God, it's by your voice, right? That's what happened when Peter said, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. What was Jesus' response? Man, Peter, that is awesome. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and I will build my church on this rock. And watch what he said. The gates of hell would not prevail against it. Why? Because the battle was in the worship. The battle was in the worship. He is your defender. He's your strength right now. That's why we got to sing. Even if you're bad at singing, sing. All right? And I know, man, it would be awesome to have the worship team like in our living room all the time, dancing around, playing, doing their thing, right? But sometimes you just got to lift our voice without song. But we have provided for you. That's why we've got this, uh, I think it's the Wells Worship List or it's this thing that we sent out to you via technology where it's got all these songs just to encourage you in your faith right now. And then here's the last thing that I need us to understand is that worship keeps Jesus at the center. See, someone wrote it like this, how quickly we forget what it's all about. We can get so strategic that we worship so our church will grow, not because he's worthy, but we're doing all this because God is worthy and we wanna worship him. C.S. Lewis said it like this, the most valuable thing the Psalms do for me is to express the same delight in God which made David Dance. In other words, Jesus is at the center. Can Jesus make you dance today? This is the worst dancing you will ever see right now. But will he make you dance? Like even this white boy right here, I will cut up a carpet. That's a, I don't even know what that means, right? Because I want to dance because Jesus is at the center. He is my everything. And in the midst of this journey, in the midst of crisis, I got to keep him at the center. I got to keep him at the place where I understand that he is for me and not against me. Worship keeps Jesus at the center. When COVID comes to the center, I gotta worship because then Jesus moves in and moves COVID out of the center of my focus. When the worry about my finances comes in, I gotta worship Jesus because it pushes it back out. When the worry about my family comes in, Jesus has gotta come back in through my worship. When I'm fearful of the market, when I'm fearful for my house, when I'm fearful for my people, when I'm fearful for my things, that is meaning that I gotta put Jesus right back at the center to push it all out. Worship keeps Jesus at the center. Here's the question I want to ask you. What's at the center? What's at the center of your life? I want to make this statement as a challenging statement, but then something that we can correct. Whatever is at the center is what we are worshiping. Whatever is at the center is what we are worshiping. So if I'm placing 
all of these other things in my world right now at the center, it means they've become that which I'm worshiping. <clears throat> they've become my idol. But like Peter, if I can come to the place where it's not about what others are saying, it's about what I'm saying about Jesus. And I think Jesus is asking us the same question today. Who, who, do, who do others say that I am? Well, Jesus, they're saying a lot of things. And we can name them out. We can understand that people are saying that Jesus is a fable. He's a myth. He's a good man. He's a story. Some people would say he's good. Others would say he's not good. That's what others are saying. The question I want to ask us today is who do you, who do I say that Jesus is? And I wonder if today our confession of Jesus can be our worship of him.